Well, good morning, Genesis Church. Uh, thanks for coming out on this Labor Day weekend. And uh, for those of you that are new with us today, maybe you're here visiting some family, uh, or maybe you've been thinking about visiting Genesis, and today's the day. Uh, we are glad to have you here with us. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here. And we want to invite you to take your Bible, if you would, and uh, turn to Judges chapter 16. Uh, we're in the final week of a series that we've been in here called The Measure of a Man, uh, Judges chapter 16. It's in the Old Testament, and we've got some Bibles uh, on the floor around the room if you'd like to use one of those. And as always, uh, we'll have the verses on the screen too. Now, a quick review uh, of what we've covered in case you've missed any of the previous weeks uh, with us. We're talking about Samson. We know that Samson was a man with enormous potential. Uh, his birth was announced to his parents by an angel before they conceived. Uh, and the angel's announcement is that this boy uh, would be set apart for special service uh, to God. And this wouldn't just be a, a a temporary period of time, but this was something that was going to last his entire life. And so God had plans to use Samson, uh, plans to use him to deliver the Israelites from the oppression of the Philistines. And uh, one of the things that God did for Samson is he blessed him uh, with the gift of physical strength. Now, here's the problem. Here's the challenge that we've seen in his life all the way through, that while he had this great physical strength, uh, unfortunately for Samson, he was very weak in character. And instead of relying and depending on the Spirit of God to lead him in his life, uh, it seems like, at least from what we can tell, that he lived most of his life from the flesh, all right, from his own will, from his own desire, allowing things like lust and uh, entitlement and pride to rule his life. And so uh, for every week of this series, what we've tried to do is we've tried to identify these traits uh, that we believe make up a godly man, that uh, make for a godly man. Uh, week one was the, we, we said the measure of a man is his character. Uh, week two, the measure of a man is his obedience. Last week, we talked about purpose, all right? The measure of a man, his purpose being found in the Lord and the Lord's will for his life. Uh, today, we want to wrap up by talking about this trait that the measure of a man is his humility. Uh, what really makes a man, a godly man, uh, is often found in his humility. Now, the biblical word uh, for humility means lowly. Uh, it means poor or needy uh, and weak. Humility is, uh, in light of who God is, all right, and who we are, humility is recognizing that we're without resources on our own, that, that, that by nature we're needy people uh, who don't have what it takes, that we're not equipped uh, to go through this life at, at least significantly uh, on our own. And so to be humble means to acknowledge that you are desperate for God, uh, that you are completely dependent on God for all things. And, and do, you know how, do you know how God feels about a man who realizes he is desperate for the Lord? Well, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 66 too. He says, they, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Men, let me ask you this today. Would, would others see humility in you? I mean, as you think about the people that are closest to you, uh, the people that you spend the most time with, the people that know you the best, all right? They see you on your, your best days and they see you on your worst days. Would they look at you? Would they look at your life and say, you know what, humility? Yeah, I, I see humility uh, in you. I mean, is, uh, are, are you a humble person? I mean, see, God, God is drawn to the humble, Isaiah points out. He's, he's drawn to those who are humble in heart. Hum, humility gets God's attention. And these words, they remind us that God is looking for men who are humble enough to realize uh, their absolute and desperate need for him. Now, what about Samson? 
How, how do we see this play out in his life? Well, as we left off last week, Samson's supposed to be leading God's people, all right, leading them into freedom, leading them out of oppression by the hands of the Philistines, but now he's a prisoner to the Philistines. And I want to pick up the story today in Judges chapter 16, uh, starting over in verse 21. Uh, towards the end of this story, we read, it says, Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Uh, binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But then get this, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, if you know this story at all, you know that his hair was a symbol of his strength, that his hair was somehow tied to that physical strength as, as, the God, as God had, had ordained this. And well, his head was shaved and he lost all of his strength. I mean, what we're seeing today is he, he has hit the lowest low, all right? Uh, it's not going to get much lower than this for Samson, but I love the hope uh, that's even present in this passage here, that the hair on his head began to grow again. What a great reminder for you today that if, if you're here right now and you feel like you've hit rock bottom this morning, there's still hope for you. Uh, that God's not finished with you yet. I mean, as I heard one pastor say, you know, even bad haircuts grow back, all right? And, and that's what we see here in the life of Samson. You can almost see that potential in this, this, this moment. It's almost like the superhero that's somehow regaining his strength, uh, the hero that is about to emerge. It says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And then it says, while they were high in spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. Now, again, let's not miss it. This is a sad and humiliating moment for Samson. Uh, his eyes gouged out. Uh, he, again, he's at rock bottom here. I mean, the very people, again, that God had sent Samson to destroy are making a mockery of him. I, I just wonder if in a moment like this, do you ever think it crosses his mind of how, how in the world did I get here? Like, how, how did I fall so far? I mean, how did it come to this? I mean, again, you know, look back. Think about his story. I mean, his parents must have told him. They must have shared with him the details of the announcement, you know, before he was conceived. And then there was this physical strength that he had uh, enjoyed all of his life. But now this, again, he's fallen so far. Certainly, certainly this isn't what God had planned for Samson. But the truth is, the fact is that this is where pride can lead us. All right, this is the potential that pride can have in us. I mean, think about you know, some of the examples that we see even today, even in pop culture of men and women who had so much going for them and then lost it. I, I was thinking back this past week of somebody like O.J. Simpson, you know, and the popular football uh, player and Michael Jackson or even most recently and with the Olympics, you know, somebody like Ryan Lochte. I mean, if we're not careful, if we allow it, pride is something that can easily you know, ruin our lives. And, and oftentimes when we allow pride to rule, it's not really a matter of if, but more so a matter of when. Uh, the Apostle Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Uh, he writes, whoever sows to please their flesh, well, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, well, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You can replace the word here, flesh, with the word pride, uh, just to kind of understand more and more of what's being said. And, and you could replace the word spirit with the word humble and then read it again. 
All right, and so we'd read, well, whoever is led by pride will reap destruction, or whoever is led by humility will reap eternal life. Listen, Samson uh, didn't just stumble into this humiliation, you know, all at once. I mean, it was a series of prideful decisions. It was a step-by-step sort of journey for him into this place uh, of humiliation. Samson kept feeding the monster, you know, of pride in his life, and this is what he has to show for it. See, pride's a pretty nasty thing when we allow it to rule in our life. And if humility gets God's attention, well, let's at least consider what he thinks of pride. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, Solomon writes, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Uh, over a few more verses in verse 18, Proverbs 16, 18, we read, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, writes in James chapter 4, verse 6, he says, but he gives us more grace This is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And then again, Isaiah, in Isaiah 2.17, he says, The arrogance of a man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. You see the the role that pride can play. Uh, We see the evidence of that in the life of Samson. And it was only then, it was only after hitting rock bottom that we begin to see this humbling of Samson in his life and really an act of surrendering at the same time too. And so back to Judges 16, if you would skip over a few more verses uh, to verse 28. And I want to just draw your attention to the first portion uh, of this verse for now. Judges chapter 16, uh, verse 28. Uh, We read, it says, "Then, then Samson prayed to the Lord. Again, he's, he's at the lowest point in his life. He's hit rock bottom, all right? He has no eyes to see anymore. He's a slave. It says, then Samson prayed to the Lord. You know, maybe the most important word in the whole story of Samson is right here. It's the word then, all right? If you think about it, it's the word then. I mean, it really is the hinge of Samson's whole story. I mean, he lost everything. Again, he's hit the lowest point of his life. It was only then that Samson surrendered to the Lord. He finally turns to God for help, which raises a great, great question for you and me today, and that is this. What, what will it take to get your attention? Like, what's gonna have to happen in your life before fi- God finally uh, gets a hold of your attention once and for all? I mean, what's the then moment that's gonna have to occur in you before you humble yourself, uh, before you surrender your life completely to the Lord? Like, will it take losing uh, something or maybe easily losing everything that you have? Will, will it take losing your marriage or maybe losing an important relationship that you have? Maybe, maybe it'll require losing a fortune before God finally gets your attention or losing a, a dream before you humble yourself and you surrender, surrender your life and your will to the Lord once and for all. See, that's what humility says for us. Humility says, I surrender. All right, that's what Samson's doing here. He's surrendering, and that's point number one if you're taking notes with us today. I want you to write this down, that humility confesses, I surrender, Lord. That's what humility looks like. It's this attitude of surrender. It's a daily surrender before the Lord. See, the antidote to the problem of pride is I surrender. And the Bible often describes it as humbling yourself. Look at how Jesus said it in Luke chapter 14, verse 11. Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. All right, he says it's going to happen eventually, in time, all right? Pride's a nasty thing. Jesus says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus is a great example of this. 
I mean, he is the greatest man who ever lived. And I want you to just consider for a moment how he lived his life. You know, the Apostle Paul described it like this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, and being found in appearance as a man, he's talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, look at it like this. You know, according uh, to the world, uh, life is a lot like a ladder, all right? It's a lot like a ladder and trying to climb the ladder to get to these higher places, uh, to get to the top of the ladder, sometimes referred to as that place of success, right? That we all strive for success. It's a big part of our culture today uh, to shoot for success. And if the top of the ladder is success, well, then the bottom of the ladder is failure. Now, apart from Christ, we all naturally can see life like this. All right, we can see life through a lens like this, you know, where our, our time and energy all of a sudden become, becomes uh, all about climbing the ladder, you know, again, to get to these greater places. We want to avoid being at the bottom at all costs. And, you know, if you think about how this plays out in our culture over and over again, I mean, we're, we're taught and encouraged to climb the ladder of success. Uh, even as kids, we encourage our kids to do this, whether this be on their sports teams or uh, be, uh, in school. We, you know, we're driven to climb the ladders in our careers or uh, we want to climb the ladder to make a name for ourselves. We, we, we climb the ladder to seek more influence. We, we climb the ladder to make more money so that we can move to a different subdivision and have a bit bigger house or a better car. You know, we want to climb the the ladder of success for the sake of our relationships and in our marriages. And so we climb and we climb and we climb, yet Jesus reveals an entirely different worldview for us. That, that rather than seeking his own glory, Jesus humbled himself. Rather cl than climbing the ladder, Jesus lowered himself. Uh, author Paul Miller describes this uh, as uh, the J-curve uh, that he calls it. And just an example of this here, you know, if you picture the letter J and starting at the top of the short side of the curve, if you think about the word life, all right, and, and trace down the curve to the bottom, the word death, and then uh, finally up the curve to this uh, uh, top point uh, of resurrection. This is a, a simple picture. This J is a simple picture of what Jesus did for us, that instead of climbing the ladder, Jesus went down, uh, lowering himself in sacrifice, all right, and ultimately his death. Uh, but death is not the end of the story for Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead, and by doing so, he was exalted by his Father. And why did Jesus do this? Why did he do this for us? He did this so that we could have life, all right? And so this J is also a picture of the gospel, all right? But it's a picture of what the gospel does for us each and every day, and here's how. If you think about it, here's how this applies to everyday life. When, when you humble yourself, you go low, all right? You put yourself in a lower place. You could describe it as the bottom, and it sometimes can feel like death, all right? Because you've given up a part of your life, all right? And maybe for someone else, maybe so that someone else can have life. I mean, think about this with me. I mean, did Jesus defend or fight against his accusers? Did he fight himself? No, he, he humbly placed himself uh, at the mercy of his accusers. And instead of fighting for himself, you know, instead of defending himself, instead of trying to prove uh, that he was right all the time, you know, I mean, in the same way, like we're to be like Jesus. I mean, we're to look at his humility and how he lived and how he treated even those that were his accusers. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we humble ourselves all right, we think about how we might lower ourselves to the bottom, and it's at the bottom where we're at the mercy of others, and that often can feel like death to us, 
right, that we're just simply giving up, but it's at the bottom where we've got less power. And because we have this less power, well, then we've got to put our lives and that control into the hands of someone else. See, when we're at the bottom, we speak less, you know, not saying what we want instead of remaining silent, you know, while, while you know, instead of, of, of speaking, we, we listen, we allow others to speak. When you're at the bottom, I mean, there's a really good chance that you go unnoticed, uh, that you uh, avoid attention, that so someone else gets noticed or someone else gets the attention. See, humbling yourself is going low. It's like entering death as Jesus entered death, maybe so that someone else even can experience life. I mean, think about how often this plays out in conflict in marriage. I mean, men, if, if you and your conflict with, with your spouse, your wife, if, if you're always seeking to win, all right, well, what, what, what comes from that? I mean, what, what do we ultimately gain from that? See, what humility does in those situations is humility says, well, all right, instead of, of trying to win all the time, you know, maybe I listen, maybe I demonstrate patience, maybe, maybe it will mean laying down your life daily to love someone who you feel like never appreciates you, or it might mean holding your tongue when, when all you want to do is defend yourself or letting go of something uh, so that you can, uh, you know, for, for the sake uh, of someone else. You know, what are some other ways that we can humble ourselves? Uh, some examples of this. I, I ran across this article from the Billy Graham Association this past week. You know, what does it mean to humble yourself today? It means to regularly confess your sin. Uh, it means to acknowledge your sin to others. Uh, it means to take wrong patiently. All right, if you found yourself in a situation where you've been wrong, not to rush to judgment, not to rush to react. Uh, to humble yourself means to actively submit to authority, even the good and, and the bad. It means to receive feedback graciously from others. Someone who is humble, humbling yourself means to accept lowly places that you don't have to always be at the very head of the table. Uh, it means to purposely associate with people of lower status than you. There was a story that came out this past week. Uh, I believe the picture and a bit of the story went viral. And uh, the story is of Florida State uh, University wide receiver, Travis Rudolph. Uh, he was visiting a Florida elementary school this past week with some of his teammates. And uh, they were in the cafeteria. And all the students wanted Travis to sit at their table. But he instead chose his seat across the table from this 11-year-old boy who suffers from autism. Uh, his mom got word of this picture in this moment. It was just so gracious uh, and grateful uh, for the humble act by this wide receiver to choose her son, you know, on this day as somebody that he would eat lunch with. Uh, what else does it look like to practically humble yourself? It means to choose to serve others. It means we're quick to forgive. It means we cultivate a grateful heart. You know, each day it means to speak well of others. Uh, it means to treat pride as a condition that always necessitates embracing the cross. You know, humility is about a surrendering to a lifestyle where daily we die to ourselves and we choose God instead. We choose life through him as a foundation for our true humility. And so Samson finally does this. I mean, we see a bit of this in him. He humbles himself. He cries out to the Lord, I surrender. Now back to Judges 16, 28 again. It says, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. So what does he, re what does he pray? He says, God, remember me. All right, please don't forget me in this moment, this moment of pain. Have mercy on me. He prays very specifically, strengthen me. 
just once more. See, Samson acknowledges that his strength is not his own, that his strength comes from the Lord, it comes from God, and that's what humility prays. All right, that's what it looks like to pray with a sense of humility in your life. Write this down. Point number two is that humility prays, strengthen me, Lord. I realize that my strength doesn't come from me and from within myself, all right, but instead my strength comes from you. The word for strengthen here means to make strong, all right? It implies that you don't have that strength within you on your own, that you need something, that you need someone else to do that for you to be made strong. And that's an important reminder for all of us but especially for us men, because we like to think we're strong, don't we? You know, that we got it together, that we have everything that we need. Like, I like to think that I'm, I'm strong, or at least that I'm getting stronger. Like, I've been, I've been working out a couple of days a week, all right? I've been lifting some weights, and so um, I'm noticing the results a little bit, and there's one other person in our household that's noticing those results too. And so because I like to have a little fun, I'll walk around once in a while, and I'll, I'll flex a little bit for my family. I'm not gonna do it now. I don't wanna rip this shirt. I like this shirt. But, uh, but I'll, I'll flex for my family, and my daughter, Kate, gets a big kick out of it. And so she always cheers and she rushes over to get her hands around my biceps. My wife, on the other hand, she always rolls her eyes and uh, walks away, walks the other direction. But uh, we like to think we're strong, don't we, men? All right, I mean, and maybe that's how you were raised, all right? You were raised to say, you know, you need, you know, big boys don't cry, all right? You need to get your act together or to just kind of live with this mentality of I got this, all right? Or I don't need anyone's help. See, whether we realize it or not, attitudes like these feed our pride. And they prevent us from seeking humility. And here's the thing, and here's what is so crazy about this. Sometimes it's so obvious to everyone else that we need help. It's obvious to the people around you that you need help. But because we think we're strong or we think we can get through this or we can handle the circumstances, we're not willing to face that. I mean, our, your, your friends and family might look at you and say, yeah, you know what, you, you, you need to get some help. I mean, we're just watching what's happened in your life right now. And so you could benefit from something like a support group. Or I just see that you could really benefit from something like, you know, AA or to see a counselor. I mean, you, you, you think about some of the people that you might look in your life right now, and you might look at them and say, you know what, you just really need to surrender your life to Jesus. There are people that think that about you with all of the best sense and with all of the heart, you know, that they, they just need to really surrender their life to Jesus. But you, on the other hand, you know what, I, I got this. I'll get through this. I've been through this before. I can handle this on my own and see it's because of pride. I mean, we're so oblivious to the desperate help that we need. See, pride says I'm strong enough. I can find my way through, but humility says, you know what, I don't have the strength on my own. Humility realizes that, that our strength comes from something and someone else. Humility recognizes that it comes from the Lord. Paul Miller, again, he writes it like this. He says, when we humble ourselves, we create a vacuum which God can step into and fill rather than trying to manage and control these things on our own. He says, when we're at the bottom, we are dependent on others. We have less power. I love what he says. When we humble ourselves, we create a vacuum in which God can step into and fill. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about strength as well. I love what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He heard these words. He experienced this from Jesus. And he heard Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect and weakness. And so the Apostle Paul's response, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. See, his grace is sufficient and his power and strength are perfect. He has what we need and he has what you need today. 
And he, he has what you need to get through another week of work. And maybe a, a meeting that you're anticipating that's even coming up this week. He, he, he has what you need right now to get through the financial stress of your life and to lead you through that and to provide for your needs all at the same time. He, he's got what it takes. He can provide you know, for you what you need and your spouse need to heal your marriage or uh, to heal a relationship, a broken relationship that you have right now, maybe with a son or a daughter or, or with your own parents. He, God has what you need to heal your wounds. Uh, to help you overcome your fears and even your own anxiety or your loneliness. Humility realizes that our strength comes from the Lord, that his strength is sufficient for us. And can I tell you one of the ways that I believe that God wants to strengthen us, that he loves to strengthen us, and he loves to use people. He loves to use other people in your life to strengthen you. And, and one of the ways that, primary ways that God answers that prayer, strengthen me, Lord, at times is through our relationships. And, and again, not only our relationship with him, we talk about that a lot, but it's through our relationships with others. And so sometimes he uses a family and sometimes he might use a spouse. And so sometimes for you, he might use a, a coworker who knows and loves the Lord. But one of the practical ways that he might want to do that for some of you is by prompting you to step into the family here at Genesis, you know, right? And to get involved and to be in relationships with others. And so we say that connection ways are a great way to do this, all right? To be in a group with other people. I'm in a group on Wednesday morning. Uh, we meet every Wednesday here in this building, a group of men. And we've been meeting for three or four years now. And, uh, you know, we, we have the opportunity to share in life together. We have the opportunity to pray for one another. I know that I've been very encouraged at times to walk away from that gathering, know that I got a group of men uh, that are praying for me, even as I go into my day. I was, uh, we were, our family was eating dinner with another family from Genesis the other night, and uh, this guy got to talking about their own connection group, uh, one that he's a part of here at Genesis, and he's been a part of other groups before and in the past and with other churches, and he just said to me, he goes, I got to let you know, this is the first time in my life in a long time that I've really looked forward to being a part of a group and the relationships that are being formed there. Don't do this alone. All right, men, we, we, we like to live in isolation. We like to take our challenges and our problems and keep them private. Find a group of men that you can do life with, that you can trust, that you can share in some of your challenges and concerns. You can share the journey with them. We need relationships around us. We need other men. Ladies, you need other women in your life who are also seeking the Lord, women that you can trust. Uh, back to Samson's story, he, he finally confesses, I surrender, and then prays. He prays, strengthen me, Lord, but then there's a problem there. Maybe you already noticed it, but let's just call it as it is. And the problem reveals that Samson's still got a long way to go in his humility. Look at verse 28 again. It says, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And then, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes, all right? He's a mess, all right? We've talked about that week after week. He's wrongly asking for revenge. He's a mess, but man, you know what? I'm, I am too, you know? And I can have these high moments and these low moments. Uh, we all the same. And so his request for revenge, I mean, it may not seem like a bad thing at first glance, but remember, each time when the Spirit of the Lord gives Samson strength, he's always using it for himself, He's always using it for his own gain. It's always about him, his personal gain. It's about getting him out of the mess that he's made for himself. 
And even here, Samson prays for vengeance with his two eyes. We're reminded, or for his two eyes, we're reminded of what the Apostle Paul said, though, in Romans 12, 19, when he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, the Lord says, I'll take responsibility for the revenge piece, you know? You just trust me, right? And that's what Samson should have prayed. It's what he should have prayed. I trust the Lord. And that's point number three in your notes. Humility declares, I trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord with this. Humility declares, you know what? I'm not going to take revenge, but instead I'm going to trust you, God. Uh, Humility declares, you know what? I'm not going to try and fix this mess. I'm not going to try and seize control, maybe for the first time, because I'm always trying to seize control, but instead I'm going to humble myself, God, and I'm going to trust you instead. Humility is about realizing that I'll never be the same, all right, but I'm going to trust you with the days ahead in my life, that I'm not going to rush through this time of healing and recovery that the Lord has me in, but humility says I'm going to trust you through it, or humility declares that I realize I'm a mess or I'm a disaster waiting to happen on my own, but through you and through your work in my life, God, and through your grace and by your strength, which is sufficient for me, I trust you you. And what's interesting about Samson is that even in this low point, I mean, even then, at least he had enough faith to ask God to remember him, to have mercy, to strengthen him once more. I mean, we've picked on him, right? Man, we've picked on him and all of his flaws these last few weeks, but let's at least acknowledge that he had enough faith in this moment to turn to the Lord, to believe that the Lord could answer his prayer. Let's finish out his story. Verse 28, it says, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Verse 29, then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood and bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, He killed many more when he died than while he lived. See, here's the thing. Did did Samson have the potential for so much more in his life? You bet. And unfortunately for Samson, his pride and his selfish ambition prevented him from realizing that potential. And I'd argue at the very same time, prevented him from enjoying a more satisfying and even significant life. But did he waste his life? Well, here's what we know for certain. God was going to deliver the Israelites from the Philistine people, regardless of Samson's faithfulness. God is all about doing what he says he's going to do. And in spite of the mess that Samson made with his life, God still used him. God still used him. In fact, and you may not realize this, but there's a brief mention of Samson even later on in the New Testament. Uh, It's in Hebrews chapter 11, which most people refer to as the hall of fame of faith in the Bible. All right, and why in the world would Samson appear there? It seems unlikely and maybe a little confusing, but let's look at it quickly together. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Paul writes, and what more shall I say? He says, I do not have time to to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, all right, he's speaking of all these men here, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, and skip over to verse 39. 
he concludes this section by saying, these were all commended for their faith. See, even Samson. See, Samson may have made a mess with his life, but the truth remains that God used Samson. He used the life of Samson to accomplish something amazing. You know, even in the mess, God still used him. And that's the awesome truth for us today, that if God can accomplish something good through a life that ended like Samson's, then surely God can do something amazing in your life. And he can start that amazing work in you even today. Listen, if you're still breathing, you're not done. All right? You may feel like you're down, that it's over for you. But just because you're down, it doesn't mean that you're out. Imagine this. What could God do with your life starting today if you were to trust him, if you were to surrender it all to him? I I know that there are some of you here today and you're ready to call it quits and you've got people around you in your life that are telling you that you deserve to call it quits and you don't think there's anything that you can do and maybe you're here today and you believe that you've fallen too far and it's way too complicated that there is nothing that God can do for you but I'm here to remind you today that, that, that this great God of ours He can do amazing things in your life, just as he did with Samson. And if you will humble yourself, and if you'll surrender your life to him, he's got everything you need. He has everything you need to pick you up today, to heal you today. God can heal your wound. He has proven that over and over again, not only in Scripture, but in the lives of the people of this church that he can heal your wound. I believe that God can fix your broken heart today. It may take some time, but he's more than capable of doing that. He can help you in overcoming your addiction right now. He can get you back on the right path if you've wandered down the wrong one. He can heal your marriage or heal you from a broken marriage. He can, I believe that he can help you be the man or the parent or the grandparent that you want or that you know that you should be. But please, and please don't miss this, this path to healing this path to strength and recovery in your life. It all begins when you surrender all of your life to him, your will and everything to him. It's about swallowing your pride and even praying and saying, Lord, I am giving it all to you. Let's pray together if we could, would you? If you'll join me. And I don't know what it is for you today and I don't know what the circumstances are. I don't know what the situation is. I don't know what the questions are that you're asking. I don't know the regrets that are weighing you down and preventing you from living the life that that God has for you. But I do know this. I do know that this path of humility begins when we surrender, when we surrender our will and when we surrender our lives to the Lord. And maybe that's what you need today. It's just to pray a prayer that goes something like this, Lord, I surrender my life to you today. I surrender all of my life to you today, Lord. I surrender my will to you today. Maybe, maybe some of you here this morning just need to pray that prayer, Lord, strengthen me because you trust the Lord and your faith is in the Lord, but you need an increase of your faith today. You need help in your circumstances. You need help in the week that's coming or in the rest of this year, whatever is before you right now trying to find that strength within yourself but instead realize and recognize today that you can turn to the Lord and pray Lord strengthen me and for others of you maybe you need to pray a prayer that just goes something like I trust you Lord I trust you in this moment that I'm in I trust you in this place where I find myself right now I trust you with my life I trust you with my future 
What is it for you today? What do you need to pray today? I surrender. Strengthen me, Lord. I trust in you, Lord. Father, we pray, we believe, we know that you are doing a great work in our church and the lives of not only the men of this church, but also the women of our church, Father. And we pray that you would carry that work on to completion. And I pray that whatever it is, whatever it is that needs to happen today, Lord, that it would happen here in this room right now before anyone walks away. And even in those words, I surrender. Strengthen me, Lord. I'm putting my trust in you today. God, these are our prayers offered up to you today. Would you hear them and respond to them? Would you encourage us today? Increase our faith and our trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.